This morning we're going to be in Genesis chapter 17, and if you're new to the Bible, if you're unfamiliar with it, you're in luck because it's the very first book, so you don't have to look very far. Uh, You just have to open up your Bible and find uh, chapter 17. And as we come to this text this morning, I imagine that all of us at some level know what it's like to live uh, with fractured identities, whether it's separated from parents or, or a spouse or other loved ones by death or divorce. Um, some of us unsure of, of our, our original origin, longing for, for a solid or reliable relationship. Uh, maybe even the, the stable, the most reliable relationships you have feel at times shaky and unstable. And so our big problem as we live life in this world is this, that we're often tempted uh, to feel like orphans. We're often tempted to feel like orphans without hope or a place uh, to belong. The characters that we're going to find and encounter in this story know that feeling as well. We're going to meet two folks. One of them is named Sarah, and the other is named Abram. And they've been separated from their family now for a long time. It's been 24 years since God has called them to leave the place that they knew, to leave all their relatives. In fact, they had one relative that came with them. His name was Lot, but he's left them as well. And to make things even worse, Sarah, who, who longs to have children, has been unable to have children this whole time. And so her and and Abram are in a a hard spot when we come and find them here in chapter 17. And so our big question for this passage this morning is this. As we we face this temptation to to feel like orphans in 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 this world, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? What does it actually mean to be in a relationship with God? Please read with me as we're in chapter 17 of the book of Genesis. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant." And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, 
And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was ninety-nine years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Please pray with me as we come to this portion of God's word. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you that you haven't left us alone as, as orphans in a merciless universe, but that you have come and you've spoken to us in words that we can understand. We ask that you would do that, that this morning, what you've promised to do, that you would open our ears and our eyes, that you'd soften our hearts, that we could see and hear and believe everything that's written about you in your word. We ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen. If you were uh, paying attention to the news almost this time last year, last April, you may have seen uh, probably one of the funniest stories of the year, which was that the British Commission over in Britain decided that they were going to commission a polar research vessel. And I'm sure this isn't true of anyone in, uh, in this room, but there are many people in this world who are not fascinated by science, and they don't find it you know, utterly compelling. And so in an effort to create public interest, this commission decided that they were going to have an online poll to decide the name of this vessel. So people would go online, they'd vote, and they'd, they'd choose from a variety of names that they thought it should be named. Uh, there were a lot of different options, uh, which included names such as Ice Ice Baby, I Like Big Boats, and I Cannot Lie, to which they should have added, and none of the sailors can deny, Science, followed by three exclamation points, and Clifford the Big Red Boat. But the name that won the poll probably tops all of them, uh, and it was this, Bodie McBoatface. And so the question in the news and the question for this British commission was, were they going to honor the results of the poll? Were they going to take this polar research vessel, which they had invested millions of dollars in, and name it Bodie McBoatface? And despite this ploy to, to raise public interest, despite your overwhelming support for Bodie McBoatface, ultimately the answer that they had to give was no. They were not going to honor the poll that they had given. And instead, they named it after David Attenborough, as, as many of you know, as a natural uh, scientist. And the question, of course, is why? Why would they not honor the results of this, this online poll? Well, the rea reality is this, that as you know, names reflect 
something about us. They reflect our purpose. They reflect our mission. And names also shape, they shape and show our identity. We know this intuitively. Many of you who are parents spent hours agonizing over what you were going to name your child. You picked out a name that expressed, for many of you, your hopes for them, your desires for them, what you, what you hoped would become true of them. Uh, and we see this in other places in our culture as well. Uh, Bruce Jenner went through a transformation and changed her name to Caitlyn Jenner to, to show this, this decisive break from the past, this new identity. And that's what we're seeing here in this passage as well. Both Abram and Sarah get new names. You see in verses 4 and 5, Abram's name is changed to Abraham. He's now going to be not just a father, but a father of, of many nations. Someone who's had this promise that he's going to be given children for a long time and hasn't seen any fruit. Suddenly God comes and says, here, I'm going to, I'm going to show a way in which you're going to have a decisive break from your past. In the past you were without children, now you're going to have many nations come from you. You may have noticed in verse 15 that Sarah now become, or Sarah becomes Sarah. And if you looked in the note in your, in your Bible, it might be a little confusing since both names mean princess. And we're not entirely sure what exactly is meant by, by this name change with the same meaning. But the, the best guess is that Sarah before came from a line, a kingly line. And so her name reflected her past. But now she's going to have many kings and nations come from her. And so this name is going to show that this is now going to reflect her future. And so we see here that God gives them these new names, as we've said, to, to reflect their purpose and their mission and to, and to shape and show their identity. And so as we face this temptation to feel like, like orphans, uh, without hope or a place to belong, and as we ask this big question, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? We find here our first answer, that God gives us a new identity. He gives us a new identity. God gives us a purpose and a mission, and he shapes and shows our identity. Now, for Abraham and Sarah, that meant getting new names. Uh, most of us won't receive new names from God. He's probably not going to come to you today and give you a revelation and tell you that you've had a name change. But he does give us a new identity, and he does give us a decisive break from the past. That if you're in Christ, that if you're following after Christ, the thing that's, that's most true about you, it's not, it's not your gender, it's not your sexual identity, it's not your family, it's not your wealth, it's not your poverty, it's not your education, it's not your friends. That if you're in Christ, what's most true about you is this, that you have been redeemed. That God has brought you into his family. And we have a lot of voices in this world kind of telling us what's true about us. And most of those voices are telling us things that are false. They're telling us where we get our worth and value from. And usually it's something other than God's redemption of us, our identity in him as part of our family. At the end of, of our service today, as he always does, Jordan's going to provide a benediction. And this has been something that's done in church, church, uh, churches throughout church history. And a benediction literally means a good word. And the reason that we have it is this, that we have many words spoken over us during the week, most of which are not true, things that are not true about us. And so we have a benediction at the end of our Christian worship services so that we can hear finally God's word over us, something that is true about us, something that is right. We need, we need a louder voice to speak 
over us. And so we, uh, we see also that, that it, it involves a decisive break from the past, that this, this new identity doesn't just tell us what's most true about us, but it also shows us what's going to be true in the future. Abram and Sarah have this decisive break from the past. They've had a past of an inability to have children, a past of separated from family, a past of wondering what God is going to do to them, with them. Is he going to honor his promises that he's made? And so here we see that their future is going to be very different than their past. It's going to be a future that's filled with many offspring and many nations. And so for us as as Christians as well, if we're in Christ, if we're following after him, we also have a decisive break from the past. Our past doesn't, doesn't define us. Our past may affect us, but it doesn't define us. It's not what's ultimately true about us. And I, and I know for all of us, we have things in our past that, that still affect us today. I don't mean to minimize that in any way. Things that people have done to us, choices that we've made. The reality is this. Every morning I wake up and you wake up and... We have to bear under the weight of of brokenness and pain from decisions and choices that we've made and decisions and choices that that other people have made. Sometimes people we've met, sometimes people we haven't even met. Generations before us and our families, people that that have authority over us but we don't know personally, we voted for or didn't vote for. And in the midst of that, God is offering out hope for us. That, that, That's not the final end to the story. That there are some things that we won't experience full and final healing from in this life. But God is holding out a future for us in which we will experience full and final healing. Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he tells us this. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. So what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? Well, first of all, it means that we have a new identity. We have a a new identity and a decisive break from the past. If you were listening carefully, though, you you might be raising some objections at this point. You know, this sounds great, Matthew. I'm glad that this involves a decisive break from the past and a new identity. But what about what was said in verses uh, 1 and 2? Did you notice what God said to Abram there? He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Doesn't quite sound as exciting anymore, does it? Maybe it even sounds like Abram can have these things, but he has to earn them from God, right? He has to be blameless. Who's able to do that? Maybe it sounds like a bit of a bait and switch to you. And it involves this this issue of circumcision as well. Well, to understand what's going on here between God and Abram, first we have to know what a covenant is. What does it mean to be in a covenant? And there are many different definitions that many different people have provided. And one of my favorites is this. It comes from a pastor who defines a covenant in this way. He says, a covenant is a stunning blend of both law and love. It's more intimate and loving than a mere contract, more binding and accountable than a mere relationship. It's more intimate and loving than a mere contract, more binding and accountable than a mere relationship. And so what's going on here with God's command to walk before him and be blameless? Well, we understand this intuitively, that there's a logic to relationships, that if we want to experience the blessing of a relationship, we actually, there's certain things that we have to do. 
not to earn those blessings, but to receive them. Uh, you know this if, if you're married. You know, let's imagine that you, you had your wedding ceremony, you said vows to each other, you made promises, and then the next day you parted ways, you shook hands, and you went and lived in different parts of the country. Never called each other again, never had contact with each other. You would still technically be married, right? Legally, you would be married. But you wouldn't experience the blessings of your marriage. You wouldn't experience the blessing of that relationship. Not because you'd earned the blessings, right? You'd made vows to each other that it would be for better or for worse. But you're not within what, what, one, what one pastor would call the, the sphere of blessing. You notice that, that in verse 2, he uses this phrase, I, I may make my covenant between me and you. Well, if, if you want to make a marriage, you're going to have to put yourself in the sphere of blessing. You all know this in the family as well. If you show up to a family reunion, you're going to experience a lot of blessing. There's probably going to be maybe some hamburgers, some hot dogs. Those aren't things that you earned, but you can't have them unless you're in the sphere of blessing. You can't have them unless you put them in the place where you can receive them. And that's the same thing that's happening here with Abraham and Sarah. They're going to have children. God's promised them many nations. But that's going to involve certain activities. They're not just going to miraculously have children without, without any effort on their own part. And it's also going to involve the miraculous intervention of God. He uses his name El Shaddai here to, talk, to, to introduce himself, to talk about the power that he has over creation. He's picked the unlikeliest of couples to have children, Abraham and Sarah, who are very old, who have never had success in this area. And so on the one hand, it's going to have to involve them putting themselves in the place of blessing. It's going to have to involve certain activities. On the other hand, it's going to involve God's intervention, his supernatural power. And so here for us as well, we see... uh, For Abraham and Sarah, there are two commands, two types of obedience they're called to. Two ways they're going to put themselves in the sphere of blessing. One one is this general obedience that we see in verse 1. Walk before me and be blameless. And the other is this this specific call to obedience, this call to circumcision. And I'm sure many of you are hoping this morning that I'm going to talk about circumcision and explain why exactly this is the sign. And I would love to do that. Uh, But unfortunately, the passage actually doesn't answer that question for us. It never explains why circumcision is the sign that's given. And and there are many different uh, explanations that folks have come up with, many hypotheticals, but nothing that we can come conclusively. And so my my job before you this morning is not to hypothesize or give possibilities, but simply to say, here's what the text presents us with. And the emphasis in this text in circumcision is not why it's the sign that's given, but is Abraham going to obey God's command? Is Abraham going to obey God's command? The narrator brings this out for us in several ways. If you notice in verse 14, he says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And then suddenly skips to this next scene. We're left hanging in suspense. We skip from this this threat of what's going to happen if there's no circumcision to suddenly the story about Sarah. And the narrator, as a good storyteller, is doing this to us almost to to bother us, to provoke us, to to make us ask the question, what is going to happen? Is Abraham going to obey? And then it gets even more intense in verse 22. It says this, when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. 
Now, it's, it's not typical in Old Testament literature for us to be told that God leaves. Typically, if God talks to someone, he has his conversation, and then we simply move on to the next scene. It's very rare, almost unheard of for this, this to happen, to us to be told that God walks out. And so Hebrew scholars have spent a lot of time trying to figure out what to do with this. You know, what would we call, what would we call this event in Hebrew? And so uh, the technical term that they've come up with, just among scholars, is uh, the divine mic drop. <laughs> that God here has dropped the mic and walked out. And the question for us as readers and for Abraham is, what is he going to do next? Is he going to obey God's command? And the answer here is an emphatic yes. You might have been wondering, as I read verses 22 through 27, uh, why the author of Genesis felt the need to say the word circumcision so many times. You notice in verse 22, it says, circumcised the flesh of their foreskins. And then in verse 24, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised. And then in verse 25, circumcised. And then in verse 27, circumcised. Oh yeah, and then in verse 26, before that, it also mentioned circumcised. Why this constant repetition? Well, the author here is drawing attention to the fact that Abraham obeys. That is his point. He's repeating it over and over, not to be salacious in any way, but to emphasize for us that obedience is Abram's response. God calls him into this covenant. He offers him a new identity and a decisive break from the past. And Abram meets him there in obedience. That is the point of all this repetition in verses 22 through 27. So what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? We saw before that it means that God gives us a new identity. He gives us a decisive break from the past. And here we see that it also means that God gives us new responsibilities. God gives us new responsibilities. He calls us into this identity out of his love for us, not because of anything that we've done, but then calls us out of that into an obedience, into life with him as we follow in his commands. Abraham here had a specific and a general command, and so there's a specific and a general application for us as well. Remember, his general uh, command was to walk before God and be blameless. And so our response is, is the same, that being in a relationship with God requires obedience to God's commands. Like Abraham here in this passage, it requires obedience to God's commands even when we can't see the results. Abraham circumcises his sons before he sees the many nations that God has promised him. And for us, it's often the same, that we're called to an obedience that at the time feels very painful. We can't always see the fruit that it's going to bear, so we can't see the results. And yet, in faith, like Abraham, we take God's promise and we act on it. Take God's promises and we act on them. We have to place ourselves in the sphere of blessing. Abraham also receives a specific command, a, a specific call to circumcision. Now, I'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but circumcision is no longer the sign of the church. It's been replaced by baptism. And so, of course, we're not, uh, we're not called to circumcision. But baptism in, in the New Testament is a sign of membership in the church. 
But the application here is, is much bigger than simply to make sure that you're baptized, but to embrace what your baptism represents. And it's this. Baptism represents your membership in God's community. It represents your membership in the sphere of blessing. And so our response is this, that we also embrace the community that God's given us. That, that we commit to the church that he's provided for us as his community, as the sphere of blessing. I noted before that, that we're often tempted to feel like orphans without hope or, or a place to belong. And in fact, the church, God's church where he calls his people, is the place where orphans find mothers and fathers. It is the place where the childless embrace children. It is the place where we're equipped and empowered to do the mission that God has called us to. I mentioned before that, that we're not told uh, why circumcision is the sign. But we are given a hint here of the fact that it's the sign of this, of this membership in the, the community, that it's a sign of this blessing. If you remember in verse 14, we had this moment where God said something really bold and then walked and then moved immediately to the next scene. He says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Which sounds, which sounds very harsh, right? And to help us understand this, we have to understand that, that one of the principles in the Old Testament is that the, the punishment always fits the crime. That the punishment here for not embracing the community is being cut off from the community, being cut off from God's people. And so the message for us is this. Don't choose the curse. Choose the blessing. Choose the blessing of being a part of God's community, his family. Commit to his church. Commit to life here together. Commit to being here on Sunday mornings with God's people and worshiping with them. Commit to having your life open before them, to sharing with each other what's going on in your lives, to sharing your struggles and your hopes and your fears, because God has provided you to each other as his blessing to you. And as you are here with each other, you are experiencing that blessing. You are within the sphere of blessing. That God's church is one of the main ways that he provides for us when we're tempted to feel like orphans without hope or a place to belong. If you continued to follow the story about Bodie McBoatface, uh, you know, it got a lot of press originally, but there were several other stories that came out later that did not get quite as much press. And one of them was the surprise that despite all this attention over the boat, it's not actually set to set sail until 2019. That even though this took place in 2016, last year, it's actually had three years before it's actually going to see uh, any waters. And the reason for that is this, that even now, the ship is being equipped for the mission ahead of it. It's not easy to navigate the icy waters of the Arctic, and so it's going to take a long time to prepare it. And so while the name of the ship shapes and shows its identity, it's also being equipped for its purpose and its mission. And as we've seen in this passage, the same is true of us. God gives us this identity. He gives us a new identity and a decisive break from the past so that he can equip us for our purpose and our mission. That one always follows the other. 
that there's a rhythm of identity and obedience, that our obedience to God is not the means of our salvation, but it is always the fruit of it. It is what enables it, that without that new identity, without that decisive break from the past, we actually are unable to obey the commands that God's given us. We see the same pattern that's set here in Genesis 17 in the life of Jesus. If you notice in the Gospels, in all uh, three of the synoptics, Jesus has to be baptized before he goes out into the desert, before he spends 40 days and 40 nights. And do you remember what, what happens when he's baptized? God the Father actually speaks from heaven and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And so the encouragement to us is this, that even Jesus had to know his identity before he could respond in obedience. That, Jesus, that God the Father gave him an identity before he sent him out to, to accomplish his purpose and his mission. We're tempted to live in this world with fractured identities, afraid that, that we're orphans without hope or a place to belong. We started by asking, what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? And we've seen that being in a relationship with God involves a new identity, it involves a decisive break from our past, and it also involves new responsibilities. And it's not just enabled by this action of God here in Genesis 17. Jesus does a lot more things after he's baptized and after he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Jesus, in fact, goes on at the end of all of the Gospels to be crucified. He's put up on a cross. He dies, having already lived a perfect life, gives up his life in a gruesome death, and at that point is separated from God the Father, the same Father who spoke the word over him at his baptism. The same Father who said, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, separates himself from that same Son. And so we see the same that was true for Abraham is true for us, that Jesus gave up his identity so that we could have it. He gave up his identity so that we could be part of God's family here this morning on March 5th at West County Press, so that we could be in the sphere of blessing. And this is why we don't circumcise anymore, because Jesus in his death did away for the need for any of the bloody rituals of the Old Testament. He did away with circumcision. Hebrews 8 tells us that because Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, we no longer live under the laws of the Old Covenant. And so we see this because of Jesus' sacrifice, because he gave up his identity so that we could have it. Because God gives us a new identity, we can live faithful lives of obedience. Would you pray with me? Dear Father in heaven, we confess that without you, we can do nothing. We see that it was the same of Jesus in his ministry, and it's the same for us today. And so we thank you that you haven't left us alone. You haven't left us alone as orphans in a merciless universe without hope or a place to belong. That you have come and you've met us. you provided for us. We ask that you'd remind us of that today in a special way, even as we take communion together as the Lord's Supper, as we hear a good word spoken over us in the benediction, that we'd be reminded of the ways that you've provided for us. And that would propel us out and a humble obedience to you, not to earn anything from you, but out of gratitude, because we know that you have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. We ask all these things in the name of your Son. Amen.